Thank you. Thank you, and good morning, everybody. Oh, that wasn't very enthusiastic. I think I think we'll try that again. Uh, good morning, everybody. Thank you. Great, great to be here today. When I left Melbourne yesterday morning, it was 12 degrees. And when I arrived in Brisbane, it was 31. Um, we had this Antarctic blast come through Melbourne a couple of days ago, and the maximum temperature was 17. Isn't that great? And, and then to come here to boring Queensland, where it's just hot all the time. It was fantastic. But uh, really great to be back with you again. I, I love coming to this church and love the heart of this church. And uh, you are a partner of what we are doing across the majority world, and just wanted to say thank you for all that uh, as well. Last Sunday, I was preaching in, in Manila. And uh, we have a team of people over there. Uh, I don't know if you know, but 11% of Filipinos work overseas. And they can go to countries that we can't go to. And uh, we have a couple of our mission partners over there who are training uh, some of the Filipinos so that when they go to some of these countries in the Middle East that, that uh, we, we can't go to, that they would be trained in cross-cultural ministry, church planting as well. And we are just seeing some phenomenal things in closed countries, all as a result of God just mobilizing people uh, all over the world. It's a really exciting day to be alive. Now, I'm aware today that a lot of people in the church, Pastor Ben was saying, have got COVID. I've had COVID three times, despite the fact I've, I've had both vaccines and boosted. And I lived for two years in Melbourne while the borders were shut and got, didn't even have a sniffle. And my first trip overseas about a year ago uh, came back and on the plane I started to get very cold. And you, do you know what it's like on a plane when you're trying to suppress a cough? You, you want to cough and you don't want to cough out loud because you know that every other person there is going to judge you. Uh, it's very hard to suppress a cough. And uh, three, three times out of the 12 trips I had last year, I came back with COVID and uh, they got less and less severe as time went on. So if you're listening at, at home, uh, I'm with you. I understand. The only good, good, good thing about it was the last one I had was in, in December. I was in Bangladesh. And got home from Bangladesh, which is not my favourite place. And uh, I, I got home and I thought, oh, on a Sunday, and I started to feel real fatigue and I did a rat test and had COVID and had to cancel my ministry. The only consoling thing was the test was on here in Brisbane. So I was able to sit at home with my feet up watching the cricket. But it was this... It was the two-day match. I was so annoyed. Here I am in isolation for five days, and the test is over in two days. It's just, just not right. Someone didn't write the playbook correctly uh, there also. All right, well, I, I want to preach a message to you today that's a, a brand new message. No one has ever heard this message before. Normally, as, as an itinerant speaker, you, you have a message that goes for a few weeks or months that is, is like a seasonal message. But this week, I've really had trouble getting clarity on what the Lord wanted to say. And then on Thursday, something just downloaded into my heart. So this is the first time I've ever preached this, and it might be the last time. Also, if it doesn't go well, no one will ever hear it again uh, also. All right, so well, back in the um, 1970s when I was just, just a little kid, I vividly remember being taken by a couple of the older girls in our church to the Ecker. 
And for those of you who are not from Brisbane, the Echo is like an annual showcase of farming and livestock and, and community wares. But it also has these carnival-style rides uh, that you would see in most fairs. And on one, 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 on one, one of the rides that we went on was called the Octopus. And there's a, there's a picture of it up here as well. Because it has eight legs... And in each one of those legs is a little capsule where you have three or, three, three or four people who sit. And the octopus spins clockwise, but those little um, arms up there spin anti-clockwise. So your body's being tossed all, all, all over the place as well. So we decided to go on that ride. Now the reason that this event is etched in my memory is that on that day I experienced fear on an unprecedented hitherto scale. And this ride to me as a little kid just felt like it was getting faster and faster. And the G-forces were threatening to propel me out of the cage. Or that's how it felt anyway. So I started to call out to the operator that he would stop. But I believe he was a sadist. And he just turned it up even, even faster. And the ride just got worse and worse and it felt interminable. It just felt like the cycle that I was going on would never end. And the cycle that was producing panic just seemed to go on and on and on. And finally, the torment and the torture finished, but I was so traumatized that to this day, I rarely ever go on rides. And when you're a grandfather, you're a wuss, you know, if you're not going to take your grandkids on rides as well. But like my ordeal on the octopus, we sometimes go through seasons in our lives where it seems everything is going wrong. You know the old saying, when it rains, it pours. That there's a cluster of things that happens in, in our life that brings us to the point where we say, I don't know if I can take any more. If it were one thing in isolation, we would be okay. But when you take hit after hit after hit, it can drain even the most dependable and even-tempered people. And I've been in that position a couple of times in my life. And that negative spiral produces a fear that manifests itself in the words, will this cycle ever end? Well, I have great news today, and that is God is faithful. The cycle will end. God knows our limits, and the fear that this terrifying ride will never stop does not need to incapacitate us any longer. And this scene that I've, I've been describing is illustrated in an Old Testament passage found in the book of Genesis chapter 26 and we'll have a look there soon from verses 23 to 25. And the title of my message today is this, Four Responses to a Cycle of Trying Circumstances. Four Responses to a Cycle of Trying Circumstances. And from Isaac's example, we're going to have a look at how we should respond when we're in the middle of a cycle of things going on, sometimes beyond our control. The prevailing circumstance in the context here is a severe famine that is crippling the whole land. And Isaac had to make a decision. Would he go down to Egypt as his father Abraham had done, or would he stay in Gerar on the fertile plains? But God gave him very clear instructions. In verse 2 of chapter 26, we read there that the Lord spoke to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live 
in the land where I tell you to live and stay in this land for a while. And then God renewed to Isaac the promise that he'd made to his father, that through Isaac, all of God's promises were going to be fulfilled. So Isaac stayed where he was in Gerar. But after receiving this extraordinary promise from God, two events transpired that really had an impact upon his emotional and mental health. One was caused by his own wrong decisions, and the other ones by circumstances beyond his control. Firstly, Isaac got into trouble by telling lies. He told Abimelech that his gorgeous wife, Rebekah, was his sister. But one day, however, Abimelech saw Isaac, and I use the Bible word here, caressing Rebekah, which exposed his lie and caused some very awkward moments. So he got into problems, firstly, by his own decisions. But then, secondly, Isaac experienced much friction. Despite the famine, Isaac flourished because the Lord was blessing him. And how many know that we are not just under natural law, we're under divine law. When we're living in obedience to him, God can turn everything around. Unsurprisingly, the Philistines, with whom he coexisted, became jealous that he was so prosperous, so prosperous and they ordered him to leave. So Isaac moved to the, the valley of Gerar, where he unstopped the wells that were open during his father's time. But even this act brought contention, because the local herdsmen claimed these newly opened wells as their own. And this happened twice. And these two wells became very unwelcome and disagreeable seasons in his life. So Isaac named those two wells Esek, which means dispute, and Sitna, which means opposition. So have a think about that. He's facing dispute and contention. And then we come to a fantastic verse in this chapter. Verse number 22, which records that Isaac moved on from there and dug another well and no one quarreled over it. He moved on from the place of resistance. He moved on from that place of disagreement to a new place where his men dug a new well. This time, no one quarreled over it. Isaac had to move on from yesterday's contentious experiences until he found a new place where he would flourish. And there's a lesson there, there friends, if we are to really step into all that God has for us, there comes a time when we have to move on from yesterday when we have to move on from the contentions, where we have to move on from the divisions, where we have to move on from the negative experiences and begin to go and dig a new well. And when he got to that place, he called it Rehoboth, which means room or broad places. And at times, we need to move on from our negative experiences to come to a new place, a broad place in God. And one important lesson here is that Isaac did not give in to his, his circumstance. He dug in. And there's a very big, big, 
big difference, that we are not just resigned to what is happening in our life or, or this is happening and it's negative all around me. He did not give in, he dug in. He was determined to get hold of God. And you may be wondering why there is a shovel at the front of the church and I'll be talking about that very, very soon. But it seemed to be that everywhere that Isaac went, there was trouble and turmoil. There was a cycle of negative circumstances. So let me just do a recap before we have a look at his response. So Isaac is in the middle of a crippling and severe famine. He nearly got killed for lying to his hosts about his wife. And because he prospered, his neighbours were provoked and asked him to leave the region. And every time he dug a well to water his flocks, the local herdsmen disputed with him. And that is where we come to our text today. And in verse number 23, we read that from Rehoboth, Isaac went up to Beersheba, went up to Beersheba. So finally, he arrives at a place, Beersheba, where, where there, there was peace. But there is a hint that the sum total of the famines and the threats and disputes and contentions had taken an emotional toll upon him. And could it be that Isaac was reasoning along the lines of, is life just going to be one challenge after another challenge? Is this one ship, uh, what this hardship after another hardship in my life, is this cycle ever going to end? And this is where the Lord intervened in his life. In verses 23 and 24, it says that that night the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid because I am with you and I will bless you and increase the numbers of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. It was like the Lord was saying here, Isaac, I am your God as I have been your father's God. And I'm going to give you very good reasons why you do not need to fear. Despite all the ups and downs in your life at the moment, I want to tell you why you do not need to fear. Number one, God told him about his covenant relationship. God told him about his covenant relationship. In, in that verse, verse 24, the Lord said, I am the God of your father, Abraham. In other words, Isaac, I am in covenant with you because I am a faithful God and I am not going to break the covenant that I've made, I've made, made with you. The second reason God told him why he didn't need, need to fear was God's covenant presence. Later on in verse number 24, the Lord said, Do not be afraid, for I am with you. So secondly, the Lord reassured him of his continual presence. In other words, Isaac, I am watching over your life and everywhere you go through all the difficult circumstances, I am there and I am with you and I will bring you through. I am behind you, I am before you. I am above you, I am beside you. I am in you, I will bring you through because of my covenant presence. And the third assurance that God gave him was God's covenant promises. God's covenant promises. So thirdly, uh, the Lord spoke to him and said, I will bless you and increase the number of your servants for the sake of my servant Abraham. 
In other words, Isaac, I am not going to let you down. Isaac, you are going to come through and I am going to accomplish what I have said and I will do what I have promised because I am a faithful God to the covenant that I have made and the promises that I have made. You have my presence. You have my promises. So do not be afraid, Isaac, about what has gone on in your life and I'll tell you why. Because this cycle will end because I am your God. He's He's a God of covenant relationship. He's a God of covenant presence. And he's a God of covenant promises. And may we today, despite what we are going through, draw strength from Isaac's reassurance, uh, God's, God's reassurance to Isaac that uh, uh, about our lives as well. For there are many parallels to what God spoke to Isaac that relate to our lives as well. For we too are in covenant with God through the blood of Jesus Christ, a covenant that possesses great promises. The Holy Spirit lives within us and is God's indwelling guide and empowering presence. God Almighty is with us in every and in every area and every circumstance, actively transforming us into the very image of the Lord Himself. And sometimes we too, like Isaac, have seasons of, of ups and downs, of cycles when things are, are just going from bad to worse and it may feel like a roller coaster. And maybe you've been asking the question today, is the rest of my life just going to be a repetition of what I'm going through at the moment of just going round and round? And very subtly and insidiously, fear creeps in and begins to uh, speak to us persuasively that things are not going to change. But the encouragement from this story is that we do not need to give place to this fear at all. God promises his presence to finish what he started in our life. And his divine presence will bring us through anything and everything strongly and and maturely in his name. So Isaac had this amazing revelation of God and from God, but then he had to respond to the revelation that God had given him. And in the same way, friends, we have got the revelation of God in his word, and we have the revelation of God in Jesus Christ, this incredible written and living revelation of who God is. And likewise, today, in our cycles, we need to respond to him as well. So I want you to notice Isaac's response to the promise and the revelation of God. In verse number 25, we read, Isaac built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord, and there he pitched his tent, and there his servants dug a well. So I just want to briefly, before I close today, just give you four applications that we can draw from Isaac's response that we can apply to our lives whenever we are in a cycle of negative circumstances. Number one is this. The first thing that Isaac did, Isaac built an altar. Isaac built an altar. An altar in the Old Testament is generally a type or a symbol of worship. The altar was a place of meeting with God through through sacrifice. And just have a listen to some of the altars in the Old Testament. Abraham built an altar at Shechem after the Lord appeared to him and promised him that he would have 
offspring as numerous as the stars in the sky. When Noah journeyed into the unknown, he built an altar as the waters receded. Then you have Jacob who built an altar at Bethel because that was where he encountered God and he had finally come back to God. Moses built an altar at Rephidim after Joshua defeated the Amalekites and he named that altar, The Lord is my banner because the Lord was watching over him. And then you have Joshua who built an altar at Mount Ebal after defeating Ai and he renewed the covenant that they had with the Lord. Gideon demolished the false altar of Baal and erected an altar to God. And after the judgment at Jerusalem, David brought Arrhenius' threshing floor and built an altar offering sacrifices to God. And then famously, Elijah built an altar on Mount Carmel and soaked the sacrifice wood and the altar with wood water and then God sent his fire and then in the tabernacle and later in the temple there were two altars there was one for the burnt offerings and one for the offering of incense but the fulfillment of all these Old Testament shadows and types was Jesus sacrificial death and his intercessory ministry he fulfilled those Old Testament types of the altars and that means that now we as believer priests offer the spiritual sacrifices of praise and worship Hebrews 13 verse 15 reads through Jesus therefore Let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. So the lessons there for us are this, that if we're in the middle of a cycle of trying circumstances, then we need to foster and maintain a heart of worship through Jesus Christ, that we keep communing with our great God in intimacy through Jesus, that we keep our lives, our heart and our mind clean. No matter what you're going through at the moment, I encourage you, build an altar. No matter what you are experiencing at the moment, worship God. And Job taught us that worship is irrespective of our circumstances. We don't just worship God when everything is going well. We worship him for who he is. And when Job had lost everything, he had lost children and flocks and wealth. Job 1 verse 20 says that Job got up and he tore his robe and he shaved his head and then he fell to the ground in worship and said, the Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. What does that mean for us here today? That our worship is not dependent on who we are or how we're feeling or the changeableness of our circumstances. We worship God for who He is and the unchangeableness of His character and in acknowledgement of His sovereignty, of His reign and of His grace. Worship is the appropriate response of redeemed human beings to the presence of our great and glorious God. And if we, in the middle of pain and loss and grief, can revere the name of God and proclaim as Job did, oh, the Lord has given and the Lord has taken away, but blessed be the name of the Lord, I want to say, friends, that is worship. And I encourage you today, no matter what you are going through, build an altar. 
For it is imperative that in the difficult circumstances and seasons of life that we keep engaging with God through worship. He has not changed and he does not change. But we do and our experiences to do. And as we, through worship, reach out to him, we are anchoring ourselves into his unchanging and and unshakable realities. So today I encourage you to do what Isaac did and build an altar. Number two. The second thing that Isaac did was Isaac called on the name of the Lord. In the middle of his trying set of circumstances, Isaac called on the name of the Lord. The name of the Lord represents the character and the nature of God. Calling on the name of the Lord is another way of saying seeking God. And in the next slide up here, uh, there's some aspects of what it means to seek the Lord. In the Word of God, seeking the Lord, sorry, the next slide, thanks. Seeking the Lord can be crying out to God if we're in the middle of a time of need. It is praying for divine intervention in our life. It is devoting time to wait upon God for answers or guidance. It is intentionally pursuing God and His face. It is putting God and His ways as the highest priority of our life. I want to urge you today, in the name of Jesus, no matter what you are going through, no matter what the cycle is, call upon the name of the Lord. Let me tell you a story uh, in, in December, when I was in Bangladesh, I was, I was flying home. And I got on, on board the plane and the, the, uh, the head steward said, ladies and gentlemen, it's time to turn off your phone now. It's time to put your seatbelts on. And I, I love the words they use, draw the shades, as if you've got a pencil and you, you draw the window. Draw the shades and, and those things. And all of a sudden, two rows ahead, this little kid began to scream. And I'm not just talking about a little bit upset. This little kid was screaming, uncontrollable. And I thought, maybe this little kid has a fear of flying. And I could see the mother trying to pacify the child. And after a while, nothing would work. And then the stewards came and tried to pacify the child. Nothing would work. I know what I wanted to do. Uh, and a little, a little bit later, I saw the father un- t- take his, his seatbelt off from across the aisle. And he came across and I saw a finger waving. And I saw him uh, lifting the child as well. But the child would not be consoled. It was just screaming. And the, the plane is taxiing out to the runway. And all of a sudden, the plane stops. The pilot obviously had heard what was going on and he stopped the aircraft and we were there for 10 minutes while this kid just screamed and screamed and screamed. And a little bit later, the child finally calmed down and we, we took off. And a little bit later, I, I, went, I went to the toilet. As I came out of the toilet, I saw the head steward and she said, I'm sorry, Mr. Hills, for that screaming child. But when we said, please turn uh, your phones off, the mother took the phone off the child. And the child was just screaming because the child wanted the phone. Obviously, there was no discipline in that house. But this little child was screaming out for the phone. You know, that, that's a, a negative way of trying to bring out the truth that I'm trying to get here. If you're in the middle of a trying circumstance, I encourage you positively, not in a nagging way, to call upon the name of the Lord, to get desperate, to get hungry, to say, Lord, I need your help. He called upon 
from the name of the Lord. Despite what he was going through, he called out to God. And I encourage you to do the same as well. Get hungry for God. I want to encourage you, don't settle for what's happening in, in, in your world at the moment. God is a glorious God. He's a prayer-answering God. He's a need-meeting God. He's a God who cares. He's a God of compassion. Call upon him. Many Christian people are so passive. Okay, Sarah, Sarah, Doris Day. What will be, will be. This is just how it is. I encourage you to call upon him. Like Isaac, we need to persevere in seeking for more of God in the challenging times of life. For we have an assurance in Scripture, if we seek him with all of our heart, we will find him. May we persist in the practice of prayer and pray boldly, pray specifically, and pray with a heart of thanks. Number three, the third thing we see that Isaac did in response to the revelation that God had given him. Thirdly, Isaac pitched his tent. Isaac pitched his tent. As we have seen, Isaac had been moving from place to place because of the famine and the intertribal tensions. And we also noted that until he arrived at Beersheba, there, there were suggestions that Isaac was agitated by fear because the Lord had to say, do not be afraid, that the things that he had been through were having an emotional effect upon him. But after getting a clear word from God, he, it was time for him to settle down. And pitching the tent speaks of establishing yourself. And rather than living a transitory life, it was now time to put down his roots. And pitching his tent is indicative that he was claiming land for himself and his family as well. What does that mean for us? That when people are fearful or going through turbulent times, they often feel, oh, I need a change of job. I need a change of, of location. I need a tree change. I need a sea change. Or what they say is I need to go to a different church. The remedy, however, is not an external change of environment, but an internal change of attitude that we would begin to pitch our tent. In other words, not a shift in our position, but a shift in our mindset by pitching our tent. When it comes to our local church, pitching our tent means planting ourselves in this local church, being involved, serving, honouring the pastor, praying for the church, exercising your, your, your gift, giving generously as we heard, love the house of God. Change in this church starts with change in you. And I would ask you today and urge you today, pitch your tent. Or maybe you're, you're thinking about moving, perhaps moving to Melbourne, um, somewhere glorious. And no, no. My encouragement to you is this. Stay where you are living until God gives you clear guidance to do, to do otherwise. I once heard an expatriate Aussie friend of mine say, never move out of frustration, move out of revelation. Don't move out of frustration, move out of revelation. Don't pursue a tree change or a sea change until you have first sought personal change. Because this is where it all starts. 
pitch your tent. Or maybe in your work environment, work hard in your current place of employment or study and conscientiously seek to do your very best as if you are working and studying for Jesus as your employer. That is the Christian work ethic, that we work as if Jesus is our boss. And we work industriously and ethically and creatively and respectively. But if you're consistently unhappy in your workplace, then either you need a change of attitude or you need to prayerfully think about it's time for mo- to, to move on to another job. But I want to encourage you today, pitch your tent. Pitch your tent. And the last one is this, number four. The last response that Isaac had to the revelation that God had given him, and by the way, you are here because you've had a revelation of God in Jesus Christ. How should we respond to him? Isaac's servants dug a well. And that's what this is, this is all about today. Maybe you've come into the house of God today and you need guidance. Maybe you've been praying, God, I, I need a word. This, I believe, is God's word to you, you, you today. It is time to dig a well. It is time to dig in deep. It is time to go deeper. It is time not, not just to be on the surface. It's time to dig a well. Now, in those days, in, in this context, water was a basic necessity of life. And in Beersheba, where Isaac was, rain rarely ever fell. But according to the geological structure of of the day, they had many underground springs. And so Isaac's servants either sank a shaft or bored a hole to access the natural underground springs. And the water from the well would supply their need for hydration and cooking and watering their flocks. But the process of digging a well was part of the way that Isaac would sustain his family, his servants and herds. And for us today, the lesson is very simple, that we need to dig our own well. In non-metaphorical language, what that means is, friends, we've got to start digging into the Scriptures every day so that we can find the spiritual life and be hydrated by the living Word of God. That every day we keep digging and we keep ourselves full of the Holy Spirit so that the rivers of living water can can begin to flow from, from within us, that every day we dig into God and we seek Him and pursue Him for more of Him, that we're not just content to know about Him or have a theological knowledge or every Sunday sing a few nice songs, but every day we're going deeper in who He is, that every day we maintain a freshness in our daily relationship with Jesus so that our hearts never grow cold and our hearts never grow indifferent and they never grow stale, that we are digging into Him. This is a I believe is the word for you today and the and the word for the year ahead, I can't do this with one hand, is that you would dig in Jesus' name. You would dig a well. You would dig deeper. We, we will do all we can to pray for you and, and support you. But ultimately, at the end of the day, if we're to respond to the promises of God, it's time to dig a well. So finally, the central theme of, of this message today is this. That if we feel that we are in a cycle of going from one crisis to the next, maybe in our health or in our family or in in our our workplace, we do not need to fear. 
because God has promised that his, his presence will always be with us. He's made a promise that he will never leave us nor forsake us. He will never discard us. He'll never turn his back upon us. He'll never reject us. He'll never ignore us. He is with us. He is for us. He's given us his word. And let me say it again. The Lord is for you. The Lord is for you. The Lord is in you. The Lord is with you. He's not going to abandon you. And like Isaac, we need to today respond in faith by doing four very simple things. Number one, that we would maintain a heart of worship. That today, that we would build an altar. That we would reach out to God through Jesus and worship him. Number two, that we would seek him. Like that little kid on that plane, I pray that there would be a cry that would come out of this church today that would says, we're not going to give up and we're not going to give in, but we're reaching out to you because we want our phone back. Uh, God, we need a touch in, 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 in our lives that we would seek him. Number three, that we would pitch our tent or in other words, establish ourselves. Stop thinking about, oh, well, perhaps if I just did this for a while, or, or perhaps I just need a longer holiday, or you know, maybe I need a change of location, or I can go to a different church. Oh, forget that. Pitch your tent. Pitch your tent. And number four, the last one, that we would dig a well. We would dig a well, that every day we would just say, Lord, I'm going to dig. Because, you know, it, it's not easy sometimes, and you have to dig down a little bit to get to those subterranean channels of water. Oh, but I tell you, there's an everlasting stream, and it's flowing right now. And as we reach out to him, and we, we, we dig in in fresh ways, something is going to happen. So would you mind standing with me, please? Thank you. And musicians, you can come back because you missed the cue when I said in conclusion. But uh, if, if you'd like to come back, that would be great. Thank you. I would love to just to pray for people today who may be in the middle of a set or a cycle of trying circumstances. Even if this message today was just for one person, that's the heart of God that he sees, he knows he hears, hears your cry. He knows what you're going through. And he wants to do all he can to minister to you and to help you today. So first of all, before we actually lay hands on people and pray for them, we need to build an altar. In other words, just enter in and worship him. As the old Old Testament characters did. They built an altar to God, all of which is fulfilled in Jesus, so that now we don't bring animals and pigeons and doves to offer to God. Jesus is the, the, the sacrifice. He's made a way where there is no way. He's fulfilled all of that, so that through him we offer the sacrifice of praise and worship. Let's all today just build an altar, call upon his name, and then we'll take some time to, to pray for people today. Thanks, Rach, if you'd like to lead us. Thank you.